0: Hi, friends, and welcome to the Gita Brown Show, Creating Harmony in Everyday Life. I love creativity and I love wellness, and I've been teaching both for about 30 years. To be creative, it's really helpful if you have a holistic lifestyle because it's from that place where your creativity can flow. My philosophy is simple and grounded in yoga practice. Simple practices done daily over a long period of time will naturally give you a holistic lifestyle and from there your creativity can flow. So today I wanna talk a little bit about how to deal with difficult people. In fact, we're not just gonna talk about difficult people, we're gonna give you some skills to deal with people of all different types so that no matter what situation you're facing in your life, you know you have a proper approach and attitude and mindset. So, you could think of today as like a little mini lecture or a mini class with Miss Gita. I'm going to break down these concepts for you. I'm going to give you some actionable tips for each different type of person we're going to talk about and challenge you to start thinking about how you interact with people in your life. So get ready to learn, my friends. And please do keep in mind it's great to take notes, especially if you're a visual learner. But if you can't, if you're on a commute and listening to this as a podcast, please do know you can visit geetabrown.com at any time. There'll be a full transcript there, of course, the video of the show but I'll also break down each point we're going to talk about and give a little summary so that you can review it over there. Okay. So if you are watching today, I'm wondering if you have like had some challenging people in your life. I know I have, we all have coworkers, family members, friends, or just situations that come up, sometimes even with strangers, where we find ourselves getting riled up by what other people are doing. We find we lose our peace or we're just not sure how to handle a situation. And we might feel stuck in certain situations. Have you ever had a relationship like that, where you're in a relationship with someone and it seems like no matter what you do, you can't move that relationship forward into a productive state. You just don't know. And every time you work with them or see them, it kind of sets off some triggers for you. Today, we're going to break that down a little bit for you, tell you how to deal with that difficult person and even more than that. So I want to back way out for a minute and tell you where all the stuff I'm going to teach you is coming from, give you kind of an overview there. Then we'll dive into four specific personality types and give you some specific things you can do with each personality type to manage those relationships and feel really awesome in the process. And then i will kind of wrap it all up at the end. So I am a yoga teacher. I'm a musician and a writer, and I really feel like all of my great music making, creativity, and my writing stems from my yoga practice. I've been doing yoga for 30 years. I've been a certified teacher for, well, more than a decade now, maybe even 20 years. I've lost count quite a long time, but I want to give a little caveat here. I'm not an expert in yoga. I might be getting there. I'm like a solid intermediate, you know, 30 years. I still have a lot to learn. So, what I'm gonna to present to you today is some really Um, some of the most ancient yoga texts of how they teach us to, um, interact with folks in our life, but it's just coming through my lens, the lens of Gita. So I really want to put that sort of frame around everything so that, you know, this is coming from my experience as a yoga practitioner. Yes, it is coming from the tradition of yoga that I have studied, which is called integral yoga talk more about that in a minute, but it's all filtered through me. So there might be things, if you've heard some of these concepts before, that contradict what some of your yoga teachers have said, or you've read yoga texts with slightly different interpretations. It's all good. I think it's all pointing towards the same thing. Just really do know that this is coming from my particular point of view, and I'm just sharing what I know with love, and that's it. So this portion of yoga I wanna talk about a little bit in that big picture might be a little bit different for you. Most people come to me and they tell me as a yoga teacher that they think yoga is doing physical poses, which in yoga we call Hatha yoga, H-A-T-H-A, Hatha yoga. That's one, you could kind of think of yoga as like a wheel. Hatha or physical yoga is one spoke of that wheel. But there's many other spokes of that wheel that include things like concentration is its very own practice. Meditation is its own practice and on and on around creating a whole wheel. So physical practice is just one tiny part, one much bigger part, kind of like you could think of it as like the royal yoga, the full yoga is what we yogis call in the integral yoga tradition, Raja yoga. R-A-J-A. Raja yoga is sort of that royal yoga. It's really concerning some of the ultimate aims of yoga, which is to calm and quiet the mind. Because when a mind is disturbed, it's kind of like trying to see a reflection in a lake that has a lot of waves and white caps. You actually can't see a reflection, or if you do, it's very, very distorted. But when the lake is calm and serene, everything gets reflected clearly. And with that clear mind, then you can have an effective life. So this big thing of Raja Yoga is really concerned about your mind. And that's already given you a little clue about how we're going to talk about how to deal with that difficult person. It has a little bit more to do with what's going on in your own mind than it does worrying so much about what that other person is doing. So in yoga, we rely on a uh, many texts, but this one here, I have two versions of it. We rely on a couple of texts to give us some clues as to how to train our mind to deal with challenging people. And w- one of these texts is this one here. Is that coming in on the camera? Ooh, that looks so good. It's called the Yoga Sutras, and it's attributed to Patanjali, More on Patanjali in a minute. Here's one version of it. This is by uh, my guru, Swami Satchidananda. So I have another version here. There's many, many versions of the Yoga Sutras. This book is so old. I mean, 2,500 years, some estimates old. This is another one that's written by Nishala Joy Devi. She calls it the secret power of yoga. It's a feminine perspective on the Yoga Sutras that we're going to talk about in a minute. I did not tear this book, let the record show. It was delivered to me that way. (laughs) To me, these books are like sacred. And when it arrived all ripped, I thought, well, I'll give it a good loving home. So (laughs) The Secret Power of Yoga, I really recommend this. Both of these will be linked on my website. But you can think about it this way. These are called the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. So a sutra means a thread. And a thread is just that. It's this tiny little thread. And all of these sutras are very, very short. Some of them are like a sentence long. And they kind of give you a roadmap for how to live your life as a yoga practitioner, which basically just means how to control your mind, how to keep your peace, so that you can sort of realize your oneness with the world, uh, with the universe, really. And Patanjali is not necessarily... The author of yoga or the originator of yoga is just one person that they are attributing who sort of set down the practices that were going on at the time. Because of course yoga was passed on much through oral tradition and this is some of the earliest writings we have of sort of codifying it into a system. And it gives the definition of yoga and all different ways to practice yoga, but it's really concerned about what is going on in here, which may be a little different than if you're thinking that yoga has to do with just working the physical body as an exercise. Yoga is so much more than that, people. That's just one tiny little part. So don't be brainwashed by modern media and think that yoga is about being flexible. No, it's about calming your mind and having that peace of heart. So... We now have these sutras that come from this 2,500 years of tradition. And we know that Raja Yoga is the royal yoga, which is concerned with mastering your mind. Wow. Pretty cool. Pretty heavy stuff. Now let's drill down even more concretely and say, okay, Patanjali was a sage. Let's call him that. Who started to write down some of these threads. And then we get down to individual threads. And that's the thread I want to talk about today. So the sutra we're going to talk about today is in, I believe, book one, number 33, and it's just a couple of sentences. And I'm going to read them from the two different books so you can see how much interpretation comes into play. But this is about how to deal with people. And it basically says, in order to keep your mind calm and peaceful, you need to cultivate the following attitudes. So if someone is friendly, you be happy to them. Don't worry, I'm going to break these all down. Hang in there with me. If someone is unhappy, show compassion. If someone is virtuous, take delight in them. I like this one. If someone is wicked, disregard them. In doing so, your mind will retain its undisturbed calmness. Now, that sounds like a lot. Don't worry. Hang in there with me, student. We're going to break it down. Don't worry. We're going to go each one by one. Just want to give you a flavor for these sutras. Nishala Joy Devi, who is actually a student of Sri Swami Satyananda, says this feminine perspective on the same sutra. To preserve openness of heart and calmness of mind, nurture these attitudes, kindness to those who are happy. Compassion for those who are less fortunate, honor for those who embody noble qualities, and equanimity, one of my favorite words, equanimity to those whose actions oppose your values. So let's break this on down though. If you're listening or watching again, I'm guessing that you have some difficult people in your life and you can think of it this way there's four general ways that sort of people interact with us or attitudes that they have. And you can think of those as being a lock. And what you need to open that lock is a key. So a lot of times this sutra, 133, is called the four locks, And the four keys. And it's kind of like your back pocket tool for anyone you're dealing with. You kind of look and you go, which lock are they? And once you've figured out which sort of lock they are, you say, which key do I need to use in that moment? And then you can use that key and retain your peace of mind. Remember that that is your ultimate goal. If you're dealing with difficult people, do you really think that you can change them? I mean, really, come on. It's really hard to change another person's mind. You can influence you can create an environment of support and compassion, but at the end of the day, you can't get in there and change what another person is thinking, so don't even try. But you can control your own reaction, and by doing so, you manage your energy, and you create the conditions where you can move forward in your life and create that peaceful harmony that you're looking for. Does that make sense? So think of it as four locks and four keys, four types of people, and four ways that you can train your mind to interact with them. Okay? So we've gone big picture on down. This is a lot of yoga history here. Again, so let's break it down even smaller. Okay. So let's start with kind of, I would call it like the easiest one to start with. One of my yoga students are usually like, yeah, I can kind of relate to that. So I'll give you, again, with these, I'm not necessarily going full on with Swami Satchidananda's definition, nor am I going full on with Nishala Joy Davies. You're now getting Gita's interpretation of the sutras, which is just mine, filtered through my own lens and my experience and how my students have interacted with it over the past decades. So take it for what it is, see what you can learn. Okay, so what do you do if you meet someone who is happy? Say you're going, you're at a, I don't know, you're at a baseball game and you're feeling pretty happy because baseball is your thing. Let's just pretend. And someone sits next to you and they're really happy too. You're like, yeah, I'm at the game. This is great. This is cool. Everyone's kind of happy. What do you do to that person sitting next to you? Do you just see that they're happy and kind of ignore them? Do you interact with them even more? Do you just not even notice The sutras tell us to cultivate an attitude of kindness or befriend them. So you can kind of think about it this way. Um, At times in my life when I've struggled and I haven't been happy and I've seen someone who comes into my world who is happy, I'm like, Oh, yeah, maybe I should like befriend them and kind of hang out with them and be very kind to them. Because in doing so, I get a little hit of their happiness for myself. And you also get something really interesting. When you see someone who's really happy and you kind of go and hang out with them, you can start to observe how they interact with the world. You can observe like their attitude. You can observe the choices they make in their daily life. And then you Can steal and pick little things that they're doing and start to apply it to your own life. It's like kind of creating like a happiness supercharge. Um, You kind of think of it this way I'm going to embarrass my friend Michelle, who's in studio right now. Is she turning red yet? She's not. She's a very happy person, right? And she's also like, she's a PR goddess. What else do you do? Everything. She's a fantastic mom. Here's something she does that makes her really, really happy. She's an amazing chef and a real nurturer. So she creates us these meals on set that are like gorgeous to look at and they're nurturing to eat and they're beautiful. And when you go out to eat over at her house, she puts out like the china and the napkin rings and what else do you do? The good silver, the china. You feel like the queen of England when you go to her house to eat. It's not like she slaps it on a plate. It's all so lovingly done. And here's the thing that always got me, is she was so happy doing it. Because to me, that's a chore that I was always like, oh, I have to set the table and make the food. And it was never something I enjoyed. But over the years, I've watched this lady, she's totally laughing now. <laughs> I've watched how happy it makes her to serve other people in that way. How much joy she got out of being creative doing that. I kind of watched it and went like, wow, she seems to like get really happy when she serves other people in that way. Maybe I could learn a little bit of that too. So I started doing little things here and there and just trying to be a little more intentional about how I presented my meals. I tried here and there to cook for people even though I'm like really insecure doing it. And finally, after many years of observing my amazing friend and how happy she is at nurturing other people, I finally put together a beautiful meal for my husband with china and napkins and napkin rings and flowers on the table. And he was so happy and I was happy. So I used that lock and key there because I saw how happy she was. I befriended her, (laughs) I was kind to her, but I observed how she cultivated that happiness for herself and thought, how can I apply that to myself and my own mindset? What can I do to bring that joy to myself and then to other people? And then that created more happiness in my household. Is that making sense? Are you guys picking up on this? So often we pick at the things that are wrong and we forget to notice when people are happy and we forget to notice that we want to befriend that and create more of that energy makes sense. So create more of what you want. So your happiness lock, your happy person, befriend them and be kind is your key. Got it? There's number one. That's usually one my students kind of get and they're like, okay, I'm with you right now. We haven't yet gotten to the narcissist person, right? So let's now talk about what do you do if someone's unhappy, if it's the opposite. So the sutras tell us if they're unhappy, then that's your lock, then your key will be compassion, which I love, love, love that word, compassion, with passion, which makes so much intuitive sense, right? These old yogis really knew a lot about human behavior. If someone is unhappy and suffering, a beautiful thing to do is just to show compassion, which key note here, my friends, does not mean to change the other person. Does not mean that you're fixing this situation or trying to make it better. That's actually not your job. If you think about it this way, like, has anyone ever tried to change you or try to like talk you out of being in a bad mood or try to kind of make you into something you're not or try and kind of shift you before you're ready to be shifted? That feels so icky when people do that, right? It's like, just let me be who I am. And there's this real freedom when someone is suffering. And you just go up to them and you say to them, you know, I see what you're going through and it sucks right now. It just sucks. I'm just going to be here with you for that. Every person that I've ever said that to, they look at me with like this relief because notice what's not happening with that key. You're not taking your own stuff and putting it on them and going, oh, when I went through this, this is what I did and giving them a bunch of advice. And when I went through that, I did this and trying to change them. You're not trying to talk them out of how they're feeling. You're not trying to to shift them. Oh, it'll get better in a few weeks. Just you wait. You're just simply being present with the suck. And doesn't that feel good? Think about it. That friend that you have, like a time when you've just been down and they just sat with you, One time I was so, so, so down after my ex-husband passed away from his addiction issues, one of my friends just put her arm out like that. That's all she did, put her arm out, and I just collapsed into her, and I just cried. She didn't say a word. She didn't try and change how I was feeling. She didn't try and give me advice or a pep talk. She didn't try and change. She just had compassion. She just brought the passion and the presence. That is enough, that is transformative. Giving space for other people to just be in their sucky place, that's all. And trust that by doing that, you're creating a little breathing room for them to find their way forward. And remember, Raja, the Royal Yoga is your own mindset. In that way too, you're not trying to change an external situation. You're focused on your internal situation, which is being compassionate and loving. And that way you keep your peace because you're not projecting on them that you need them to be different and you need them to be happy for you to feel secure. You're just present with what is. And that's a really loving, loving way to be with the people in your life. So the lock is unhappy or someone who's less fortunate. Just be compassionate. Be present. It's simple. It can transform lives. Okay, let's go on to one of my favorite ones. I love this one. So if someone is virtuous or noble, you can take delight and honor in them. I'll explain this one a little bit, but listen to it again. So the lock is if someone is virtuous and noble, your key is to take delight or honor them. So I think of something like, mm, let me give an example, like a former neighbor of mine, (laughs) This lady kept the most perfect house. We all know people like this, right? Like, her children were always perfectly groomed. Her house, like... They used to mow the lawn and then they would vacuum the lawn because they wanted the lawn to be like clean, I guess. <laughs> like everything was precise. Every flower was like in perfect arrangement. Every It was very Stepford Wives. You know, everything was like very carefully meticulated. And it used to drive some of my friends crazy. They'd be like, wow, they're so anal with their house. Everything has to be so perfect. And they used to get kind of riled up. Like, Can't they just like let it be a little messy? And I said, you know what, when I started to study these locks and keys, instead of kind of getting annoyed by their perfection and how like awesome they are all the time, what if I actually took delight in that? What if I actually enjoyed it? What if I honored what they were doing with their house? And I said to my friend when she was like, oh my God, there she is again. Her roses look perfect. Why is she doing more to them? She makes the rest of us look bad. I looked at her, I said, you know What? I live in the house right across the street, and every time I look out, I get to look at this beautiful, beautiful home that's beautiful. She put such care and such love in it. How about we just start honoring it and delight in the beauty of it and kind of let the rest go? So it was more about my own mind and it creating like waves of like, we usually can feel resentful or kind of jealous of someone who seems to have all their stuff together or their social media posts. Everything looks like it's rosy and it can set up that like internal, like fear of missing out or I don't have enough or I'll never be good enough kind of stuff. Pay attention to that Raja yoga, that royal yoga. Pay attention to your mind. If you can delight in what they're doing and honor what they're giving the world, then you're detaching yourself from all that negative self-shame spiral spinning, and you're just simply sending a little good energy to them, but more importantly, you're keeping your own mind peaceful. So if someone is being virtuous and noble, take delight in their actions, and it's really a joyful way to live. Okay. Let's get to the challenging one, difficult people. And in fact, we could say uh, Swami Satchidananda calls them wicked people. Nishala Joy Devi, she chooses, what does she do? Oh, she says someone who has opposing values, which is a very soft way to say that. But if someone is just doing something really rotten and lousy, or seems to you rotten and lousy, this is one of the hardest, hardest ones. So... Two things you can think of for your key. You can disregard and treat it with equanimity. This is one that my students always struggle with. So I'm going to use a personal example here so you guys can kind of like make it a little more concrete. As I mentioned, I was married uh, to a man who was addicted to drugs and alcohol. He was abusive emotionally and there was a threat of physical violence as well. So many people's reaction then was for me to judge, blame, and uh, should just, you know, kick him out and punish him was basically what most people, even most therapists told me to do. And that never really sat right with me. And thank goodness I had some great yoga counselors. And I realized along the way that I could disregard the behaviors of the addiction that were coming through. And that through the rest of it, I could treat it with equanimity, which this is a sticking point because people say, but no, they're being so bad. I have to be angry and I have to be indignant and I have to fight. But look what happens when you do that. If someone is being wicked or has perpetrated something horrible against you or a loved one, or is just being like kind of nasty, look at it this way if you don't move towards showing compassion or even just equanimity, you are continuing to hurt yourself every time you think about that situation. You are continuing to bind yourself to that other person every time you think about that horrible thing they did. You're making that connection even stronger. You can absolutely hold people responsible for their behavior, but also start to develop equanimity of the mind. So I use a little sentence for myself to do this. I said, he, meaning my ex-husband, he did this behavior and it hurt me deeply, but I choose to forgive him and move forward with my life in love. So I'm acknowledging the challenging, awful darkness that came, but at the same time saying, I am making a choice to move forward in love. So severing that connection with that continued negative spiral, right? Severing that connection with needing to point outwardly and blame you are the cause of all that's wrong in my life. Instead turning it inward and saying, how can I forgive? How can I begin to show compassion? It does not mean that you condone the behavior. It means that you're making a choice to move forward in a different way with your life and that is the way that you break the cycle. It takes practice. But this, my friend, this is how we heal the world. Instead of pointing the finger out at everyone else and all the situations we see that we don't like, turn inward, acknowledge the situation that is challenging and honor that. And then have another sentence that says, I choose to move forward in my life in this way. I usually choose love and compassion because you can't go wrong with that. So again, if someone is wicked, you can disregard and meet with equanimity. You don't have to lose your peace in order to fight for social justice. In fact, you will be more effective if you are stable and balanced and have a more compassionate point of view because then you are free and you're free to make new choices in your life. So The key for that, excuse me, the lock rather, if someone is wicked or just plain nasty, (laughs) the key for that one is equanimity. And for me, it's always compassion. So four locks and four keys. You can get a lot more on these in the yoga sutras of Patanjali. Patanjali. I have these two, I'll have these linked, these two books on my website. There are so many commentaries on these sutras. I encourage you to read as many of them as you possibly can to get this royal yoga, this grand philosophy of yoga steeped in your system. But more concretely, with these four steps, something my students have done and I did when I was first learning them is I put them up on a little post-it note and I had it on my refrigerator, on my laptop, and I had one in my purse until I had these keys down where I could meet someone and be like, oh, they're happy. I need to befriend them. Oh, they're being wicked. You know what? I'm going to just kind of disregard that behavior and move forward in peace Till it became so ingrained that it was a way of life. So many of my students who write these on a post-it note and keep it there and practice it, report that it results in more peace of mind, more productive relationships, and they feel free because they're not caught in these negative thought spirals all the time. So my friend, that is your homework. Jot down, and you can hop over to my website. I'll have it all written out for you right there. Jot down the four locks and the four keys, but practice it. You can't just listen to Miss Gita lecture you. You have to practice it. You've got to apply it to situations. From the barista who makes your coffee, from the guy who cuts you off in traffic and is being wicked, disregard that one, to your loved ones, to really challenging life situations. Practice these keys. Again, remember what I said way back in the beginning, to create a holistic lifestyle is actually quite simple. Simple practices done daily over a long period of time will naturally lead you to our harmonious lifestyle. And from there, your creativity will flow. But you've got to practice. So do me a favor, my friends. Hop on over to GeetaBrown.com, Create your little cheat sheet for the four locks and four keys. And drop a comment there and let me know which key and lock you're going to work on over the next week. Let me know how it goes. The more we share in that, the more we create a little community, we can bounce ideas off of one another. And I have a little experience. I'd be happy to help you and give you some different ways to think about it if you find yourself a little stuck in applying these into everyday life. So, my friends, let us close our lecture on the royal yoga, raja yoga, with a little chant for peace that comes from the integral yoga tradition. Let's create a little good vibe in the world with a chant for peace. You can join me or just listen, and I'll give you the translation after. Loka samasta sukino Loka Samasta sukino bhavantu. Loka samastha sukino bhavantu. May you and the entire world be filled with peace and joy, love and light. Om Shanti, which means peace to you, my friends. Get your four locks and your four keys on. Go and conquer your relationships. Be harmonious in your mind and have a beautiful peaceful, harmonious day. I'll see you guys very soon over at gitabrown.com. Om Shanti, peace.